Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Welcome to Practitioner Radio. Hey, it's Chris Dancy. I'm here with... Hey, Chris. It's Troy. Troy, Troy, Troy. Troy, I'm missing Jack. I know. That was quite a treat we had last week. It was. I was at an ITSMF meeting last night and actually got a couple of chances to quote him with people who had questions about uh, the 2011 um, refresh. I don't even know what word to use for ISO 20,000. Every five years, the vault opens and they let the new standard out. So it was really... Uh, it was interesting and it was such a good... Good information, and I, I really do want to have him back. But we have a serious task at hand. Yes, the service catalog. Hmm. So out of Pink 11, we had some people question, does IT even know what's going on? It was just, it, it's nuts. I mean, I, I'll put a link to three or four of the blogs I've read in the show notes. My question to you, Troy, is the service catalog was the first time someone really got me thinking about IT services. And I was fortunate enough to take a class uh, that was sponsored by NewScale in 2007 while I was with TouchPaper. So all of my knowledge comes from that class. I'm not going to lie to you. So everything, all the questions I have from you today is, is from that. Since then, there are classes now on service catalog or something like that. Are they official? How does that work? Okay, yeah, so in the early days, we, we kind of, even before ITIL version 3, we were talking about what a service is and, you know, why a service catalog is important. At that point, it was kind of kludged together with service level management. Um, and Rodrigo and Bill flying from NewScale, and I got together and we actually came out with a book, even before ITIL version 3, trying to answer that question. And uh, then version 3 came out and lo and behold, everything was about a service. And we had to update the book and actually, you know, refresh some of the terms we use, but the concepts didn't change. And as part of that version three certification and renewal, they opened up the avenue for what we'll call complementary certifications, things which aren't exactly totally out of the ITIL books per se, are referenced or, you know, are useful, but uh, their context is valuable for the service conversation. And so as part of that complementary scheme, uh, Pink Elephant and NewScale submitted the course we actually had developed at that point into the complementary certification process. And now you can actually get credits uh, by taking this, the official service catalog course. So if someone wants more information or wants to start to actually get more academic about this, there's actually a class they can take. That's right. And uh, they can find that on Pink Elephant's website or they can just do service catalog certification, Google Foo. Goodness, we're, we're sounding like a commercial, uh, but we're not. It's just the reality is, folks, if you want more information about this topic, you can take a class on it, uh, like you can every topic we speak of. So before we talk about service, because I would love just to talk with you about service catalog and tell you all the things I think it is from the class I had and all the product demos I did. But let's start with the fact that a lot of people are having an issue that they feel that we're lost in defining what a service is. And Jack talked about one of the new definitions for ISO 20,000 was going to be a service. How does Troy Dumoulet, when he's not looking at a book, how do you postulate and explain a service to someone who might be on a, 
IT help desk or in IT, and they have no concept yet of this stuff. You know, the way I'd explain a service is it's it's not the means by achieving it, it's not the tool I use to deliver it, it's the outcome I receive. So it's the experience, it's the it's the thing that I'm paying to actually get. I'm going to a movie, I'm paying for entertainment. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm paying for as an outcome. If I'm getting on a plane, I'm paying for travel because I want to actually reach a destination. If I'm buying a car, I'm actually paying for transportation as an outcome. So I, I like that. I never thought <laughs> I, the movie concept, I, my mind is clicking a mile a minute now. So I guess if you had a, a service catalog for a theater, entertainment would be a service. Would, would, would food services be a service? I mean, what other things would be a service? Part of the experience, right? right. It's, you know, the actual popcorn is, is the, the product side of the equation, but it's actually that uh, the aroma, the, the experience of shoving popcorn in your face as you're engrossed in this movie, that's part of the experience you're purchasing. And we willingly pay... <laughs> extraordinary lots of money. Yes. In fact, I'm going to the movie tonight to go see a movie about some lizard or so with my kids. <laughs> um, and it's really about the experience versus the the stuff that you actually get there. That's interesting. No one's ever said to me that the service catalog is about the experience. They always go, well, it's about defining your services. And experience really like changes my entire planned conversation with you. <laughs> well, hey, this is where we just kind of start rolling with it. Yeah, I guess that's why we have practitioner radio. Uh, it should be called Practitioner and the Dummy Radio. Uh, <laughs> something that makes more sense. Um, so one of the people that, that I follow on Twitter who um, has a name for kind of disrupting the boat is uh, Ian Clayton. And Ian Clayton goes on and on and on uh, about customer experience and outside-in thinking. And the service catalog really seems to be one of the first places I've ever saw when speaking about ITIL or IT service management, where you start from the outside. Exactly. In fact, that's the biggest thing I usually talk about when we do tips and tricks. Stop looking at the device in your hand, the server that you're, you, know, have on, you have in the rack or the application and try to look up into the sky and say, what does this thing do? You need to start looking at the, you know, the concept of what's being accomplished and then the means for how you do it uh, as, a, as a second discussion. So, you know, Actually, one of the things I like to think about the service catalog, it's the Rosetta Stone between business speak and IT technical understanding. Because if I go to the service catalog as a business consumer looking for experiences called total communications or messaging or internet access, right? Um, then in the catalog, it'll describe how it's actually accomplished. The technician guy, he's, he's saying, I got this thing. What does it do? Oh, it does that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the service catalog is kind of this this Rosetta Stone between uh, both cultures, translating the communication between the two. Yeah, I don't think enough people. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. You know, understand the Rosetta Stone and, and its purpose and why it's in the. I think it's in the British History Museum. I know I saw it a couple of years ago. Uh, but if you get a chance, click on the show notes or go to Google and look up Rosetta Stone and actually read what the Rosetta Stone is because it, it is a magnificent. Uh, piece of history that you should actually be aware when you're using it uh, as a metaphor. Simply put, it's a device to translate two foreign languages to each other. Well, yeah, three. I think it's got uh, Egyptian, uh, Hebrew, and Greek all on the same stone. And I'm probably going to trash its understanding now. But I thought the idea was by finding it, they would be able to 
instantly go back and have meaning to thousands of years worth of documentation. They had no understandable oh, meaning yeah, that's, to it. That's what those hieroglyphs really meant. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's what know, those techies are actually saying in the in that meeting. Yeah, maybe it's someone to create a. Well, actually, there's already a Rosetta Stone product. All right. So uh, the next thing people talk about. Uh, so we're kind of skating around the service um, now for on purpose and talking about the experience, but techies, when I meet them, they go, okay, the normal ones, telecom, telecom is a service. You know, there's another word we have to throw in here, which is product, not to, uh, not to get too confusing. Okay. Um, so let me state this, the product, that tangible thing you can actually put your hand on, open up, eat the peanuts, um, you know, buy the car is not the totality of the service. Think about that for a second. The car is not the totality of the experience, right? Now, the product can have a great deal of impact on your experience. If you buy yourself a a luxury sedan versus four doors and four wheels. So the product itself is not the outcome. It's simply a means to achieving the outcome. And the quality of the product can actually have a, a bearing on the experience itself. But then that's where you can get levels. So techies like to think about products. Yeah. And you said, get my head around that. And the first thing I did was my head started spinning because all of a sudden products and services and experiences start to feel like a a set of nesting Russian dolls. They are. You you, you could keep going on your service catalog all the way out until you just have one main service called get your job done. And then you click through that and there are sub, 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 sub all the way down to the the most little bit of minutiae. Is that weird thinking? No, not at all. Um, You know, and this is something, you know, put in the context of a technical experience here. Uh, I saw a tool once that's kind of float into that realm that you had this globe spinning and on this globe were continents and one of the continents were red. And I clicked on, let's call it North America for the moment. And I clicked on North America. Then I see these little pictures of cities and I saw that uh, Los Angeles was red. I clicked on Los Angeles and then I saw office towers. There were little department buildings uh, in, in Los Angeles and the one uh, Long Beach was red. I clicked on Long Beach and I saw the business units in their uh, financial organization and one of the business units with a little person avatar was financial traders. I clicked on the financial trader avatar. And, oh, those are the services the financial traders use. Look, there's new, there's the, uh, the data feed coming in. There's the, the actual system for conducting trades and the data feed was red. I clicked on the data feed uh, and I saw that there's actually a server gone down. I clicked on the server and then there's a, a technical we'll call it service because that's the word they use that needed to be rebooted, right? Or restarted. And so literally I come down from this out concept of, you know, do my job down to some mechanism by which I do it with the product. Yeah. So service catalog as a Google map. Uh, I can tell to get my head around that. The other thing my head started spinning because you always have this way of making me feel like I've drank too much, Troy. Um, so, is is service catalog is more like a it's more like a almost like an infinity symbol because it comes back around I guess if you keep doing it. The other problem I have with service catalog Troy is because I grew up as a Microsofty in in the nineties is whenever I hear the word services I think of <laughs> services like you stop and start the World Wide Web service. So <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, 
We use the word service for a lot. You know, that's the wonderful thing about the English language. We love to use single words to mean multiple things, mm. right? Because you use a technical service on the server that you were referring to. Then you can talk about something called service-oriented architecture. I won't even go there. That's a geek way of, of reusing service components in application dev. Then there's this technical service concept, business service, and there's back to your nested doll concept. Yeah, that nested doll is really freaking with me because the fact that I could just have a catalog that starts out with get your job done and then, it, you know, it's almost be nice if you could have that and then it asks, it figures out who you are and says, well, these are the things you might want for your job. But now I'm starting to think that is how catalogs work, isn't it? Well, yeah, actually, you're not far from the truth. A good service catalog should have a my service catalog view on it. Have you ever gone to a government website or signed up in a website and you literally you sign up and then it starts to kind of just give you a view of the things you're currently subscribed to? And if you want to know more, you click over here and you can add that. Even, you know, it's like an aggregator like iGoogle, for example. Mm-hmm. So you can actually create your personal view on the subscribed or, you know, services of interest. This is part of the service catalog technology you want to find. So people who want to get started with service catalog, I think, suffer in some ways, from the same paralyzing feeling they get when they want to do CMDB. And they seem to like spend weeks and months and years trying to list out all their services so they can get it correct when they get it up. Is there a concept of just getting up one service and figuring that out? Or how do people in the real world do this? Actually, there is a challenge because the very word service, it means so many things. So does the word service catalog. Um, Let me explain. Some people think of service catalog as the front end of request fulfillment. I call that a request catalog for the moment. Yep, that's how I do. All right, and really what you're thinking about there is how do I get myself a BlackBerry, an iPhone, a shrink-wrapped application, or onboard a new employee. You know, it's a very operational-like task. And so they, they, they try to put up you know, pretty pictures of these requestable units, we'll call them that, uh, which have a back-end request flow that says a cost center approver has to approve that you can even order this puppy first. And then once the cost center approver approves it, I start to provision it through an order process and a, you know, what, to the point it gets to your desk. Uh, and that's, that's one, peop- one person's or company's view of a request catalog. Another group will come and say, well, you know, I, my service catalog, I want to talk about business services and how uh, certain services require other services to be delivered so that if I talk about uh, financial management, accounts payable as a service, then I also need to know that I need storage in there and I need hosting in there and I need network and I need security and service desk. and So this whole concept of provisioning of business outcomes, that's where ITIL spends most of its time. Um, and... That for that group is a service catalog. We'll call that a business portfolio kind of looking catalog. And so both companies can come to the catalog question looking for two different things. And by the very means of word service catalog, you have to ask them what they're after. So here's the challenge um, because there are challenges here. If you try to go up the request catalog view and you start asking yourself, what are all my requestable units? It's kind of like asking, where are all the apples and oranges when you don't know what the trees are yet? You're just trying right. to grasp what are the requestable items without knowing what they come from or fall from, if you will. The other side of that is you, if you have a business portfolio catalog, but don't try to translate it down to the requestable unit, an inbox for an email service or a BlackBerry for a telecom, then you don't get the actionable component. So you, the two link, but often companies try to achieve one or the other without knowing there's a difference. Once they understand the difference, is there a simpler place to start or... 
so many people seem to want to get the whole boat up and running before they show anything to the public. Can you start with a pilot group? And it just seems to be a more daunting task in some ways than a CMDB, because at least with a CMDB, I can say, well, I'm just going to do this one room yeah. and map as much as I can. Whereas the catalog just seems to be like, how do I get my head around any of this to even get started? So to answer your question, uh, there's a couple of, let's call them more modest goals. So in one sense, you're trying to create some kind of brochure. Uh, you're trying to give some kind of sense of value because you're, you're feeling vulnerable. They're trying to, uh, to cut costs and you're trying to get a sense of partnership going. Well, sometimes people want to just create a brochure. Uh, and one of the things that I suggest is if you're looking to create a brochure, then a website may be not the best place to do it. Yeah. Uh, because you create your wonderful website, you go through all that exercise of standing up the complex system. And Chris, you, you send out the link and everyone kind of goes, well, everyone is a big word. Some people go and go and look at it for the first time. But then how many people actually go back ever again? What do you think? Well, I don't think many. No, it's not worth it. So if you really are going after the marketing aspect of a catalog, spend your time on a glossy trifold, a very simple one. Right. Because that's going to be a better use of your money. You're going to come back and do the website later when you want to make that actionable. I'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Uh, the other side is the request catalog. That seems do- that seems doable to me. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have to be complex. You don't have to get into the business services and the application services. and But you do have to do one thing first. You have to kind of figure out your categories of service yeah. and your your service structure. And that's really done in the back-end spreadsheet. That's what we actually help companies do quite a lot. Okay, here's my category called telecommunication or messaging. What's what's the subservice and then what's the requestable unit? But I'm not publishing all that. I get down to the, to the unit, that little apple <laughs> that I'm looking for. So I've got the catalog kind of roughed out, the plumbing roughed out in a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. category, major service, subservice, and then what do I get and how is it supplied? So what I put on my request portal, and I'll call it that for the moment, is that picture of the BlackBerry, but it's really just the front end of a request fulfillment process. Call it a catalog, fine, um, but it's got a long ways to go before it becomes this thing ITIL describes as a service catalog. Yeah, because it really, service catalog really, to me, seems... Or at least I tell people, I have to be careful when I talk to you because I've probably been telling people all sorts of wrong things for years. It's really just, it's a journey. So, I mean, don't even think about finishing it. It's just something you will always do. And I I often tell folks, don't even bother starting with a site, like you said, with a brochure. Start at HR, you know, and just have a one sheet that kind of describes what IT is for your organization as if you were reading about a restaurant, um, and then once you have that down pat, think about actually getting more specific. You have to make it, it has to be more than the brochure eventually because brochures are so what still. Um, if you want a service catalog to actually be useful, you actually have to have a, a buy me now button <laughs> on that thing. Right. Right. You have to get some level of interactivity because otherwise it's just this static website no one ever pays attention to. So let me ask you the question I have always been terrified someone would ask me about a service catalog. <laughs> no pressure. Um, so let's just pre- pretend for a second we we wave a magic wand. So all the work is done, and the service catalog's in place, and it's brilliant, it's actionable, it's everything we ever wanted it to be. Are we on the same page? Yep, got it. All right. 
how do we tell the service catalog what services people are? It's perfect for new employees. But how, what do we do to backfill? Well, you have to make that service catalog someplace. Some people, some people have to go to, to get things or to, to request things. New things. But what about the people? I mean, we can't start a business from scratch. So what do we do about assigning services to all the folks in the business who already are consuming them? Okay, so... Told you I was scared. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see why. <laughs> but let, me, let me describe a couple of assumptions, and then I'll tell you why, what we would do with these assumptions, okay? So if you've got a service catalog, as you've just described, I'm going to assume you've also tackled the question of a service owner, someone who actually care and feeds this service from its life cycle, from a baby service to retire. Uh, so you've got someone who actually knows something about it relative to its long lifespan. There's another role that we talk about in IT, which is a business relationship management role or a biz dev role for you want to use a kind of a crass term. And literally what's supposed to happen in this context is your account manager, biz relationship manager would have that catalog in hand and would sit down with their business unit customer and say, Here's all the things we gave you last year. And they're not new. You actually had messaging last year uh, and you had XYZ application-based service and we gave you desktop or office automation. And here's the level of consumption. You had so many desktop units. You had so many email units, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, here's the, you know, the cost from the question of your payout <laughs> for these services you went last year. What do you plan to do this year? Do you plan to grow? Would you like to change any of these points and literally this dialogue happens with your business customer around their plans their understanding of their consumption of the services provided and they give you some critical information about their intended usage either up or down which is called demand management right and we then slip that information back to the service owners back to the back office it folks and said okay get ready here's what we got to plan for in our annual budgeting cycle and portfolio right because we we know this is coming down the pipe this is the real power of a service catalog when dealing with business engagement roles. For all intent and purposes, Henry Ford, when he set up the first assembly line uh, and people were buying cars, he had no real way, I guess, back then to predict demand. But obviously, as they started selling more and getting more paper orders, they, they could start to see that demand was coming in. And but this idea that maybe IT is like an assembly line just doing its job every day that now has lots more interesting ways and, and dynamic ways to capture this customer feedback. Well, I could kind of build on that for you a little bit. Sure, yeah. Okay, so in the first instance, I'm sure he had to kind of do some guesstimation about demand. Yeah. But then he, he had some years of pattern to look at after a while, right? He saw certain markets growing uh, so he could make some guesstimations that we, we expect growth in this category. Uh, or this model, but he also could hold focus groups, right? Mm -hmm. Sit down with a customer and say, this is what we got so far. What could we do better? And what would you like to see next year and next year's model? That's that conversation I just mentioned a few minutes ago. So, you know, that's, that's two ways to predict demand based on past patterns, based on talking to your customers. But what do you talk to them about if you've got nothing in hand? Well, that's that conversation I think you and I had on a previous show. How do you fail at service level management with SLAs, right? Right. Yeah. What would you like? Oh, I'd like all of it right now for free. Right. Well, that's that's a difficult conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's much better to kind of 
edit than to create. Start from something written down first. When I took my uh, service catalog class from New Scale, maybe it was 2008. I don't remember. I have to look it up. Rodrigo, help me out here. Pull your records. Um, 2006. Yeah, it seems like it was a long time ago, but I don't know if that's possible. It had to have been six or seven. All right, forget it. One of the things I loved about that class was, and I don't know if this is true today, if it's a best practice, I don't, I don't know if tools even have this. One of the things I loved was this concept that I, as a customer, someone out in the business, you know, it's we have customers in IT, we just don't treat them the same. Um, I out in the business, I could go in and I could say, okay, I want this, and... The next part is the part that always made me just go, wow. I could then say the default service level for this service is X. But as a customer, I, in the role playing we did, I can actually up that and ask for extended service that costs my business more, but at least it was an option. Yes. And that concept always really resonated with me as even though we can't charge people for IT services, literally, because all, almost every person I've ever spoke to said, but that'll never fly in my org. The concept of offering someone an upgraded service, even though the main service might be free, kind of drove home the value. Do you have any idea of what I'm trying to, why that excites me so much? I do. Let me play you a case study here. Okay, so let's have a conversation about that catalog again. The Think about the catalog as your master service level agreement. Mm. Okay, You have everything out there is what we constitutively declare shall be what we do for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is the value statement we provide, right? Um, So that's my base conversation. Well, someone might say, well, that's great, but that doesn't actually meet my needs. I need a little bit different thing. So let's say a service desk, you're in that context. The service desk has nine to five hours. Right. And someone says, well, you know what? I, I run an all night shop. I have, I need 724. Now, you figure out a way, let's use your, your back, office, back office knock, your network operating center, to do the coverage through the 724-hour period, and you work out some unique procedures for that customer. So it's not a standard offer yet, right? It's something uniquely you're experimenting, trying out with this one business unit customer. So you literally, in the document called the service level agreement, reference the common aspects, but then you document more detail around the unique exceptions, and now the thing called an SLA is more of an order sheet against the catalog where the only detail in this multi-part SLA are the exceptional items beyond the master SLA they called the catalog. Mm-hmm. So now I've, I've got this. Now they have to realize there's additional cost to this. So there's a bit of dialogue around that and they sign off on the extra cost. Uh, I'll give you a non-IT example in a second here. But then I run this thing for a year and it works out pretty well. You know, the knock does a fair job handing over the service desk incidents in the morning to the service desk as they come in at nine or even earlier, 730, whatever that is. Now, let's say it's gone so well, I want to standardize this thing. So I go back to my catalog and now I have a bronze, which was my nine to five. But here's my silver 724. And here are the differences in attributes and differences in costs. So what was initially this exceptional thing, I actually now operationalize as a level within my service test service. Mm. And it's no longer in that group's unique SLA as a unique thing. It's simply now they subscribe to Silver. Mm. Now, can I give you a non-IT example of that? Yeah. So remember the days before internet, Chris? Uh, yeah. <laughs> remember, remember getting the, the Sears Roebuck Wish Catalog, the Christmas Wish Catalog? Yeah. 
How did we used to order from that catalog if we didn't pick up the phone? This is before computers. What was in that catalog? Well, the Wish catalog was, I thought that was like the smaller version of the big one, but oh well. Uh, <laughs> well, well, the big one. I'm, yeah, you're right. You're actually right, technically speaking. Now, now I've just revealed that I was addicted to the catalog. All right. Um, but I would open that thing up, and the first thing I would do is I would circle the things I want, and then, or dog, 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 what's that called? Dog ear, the pages. Dog ear, yeah. And then I'd write the uh, product numbers in the form and if they wanted extra information, depending on the type of product it was, I'd fill that out. And then uh, I think I just ripped it out and put it in an envelope and sent it into an address. You just pulled out your SLA. Now, what I mean by that is the example I just provided. So think of that big Sears Roebuck catalog as your full description, your master catalog, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the order form, you wrote down the product or SKU number, quantity, and you just checked. And you kept doing that until you came up against an exception, because otherwise you could just pick a you know, a code, which would mean you got a brown one versus a blue one. Right. Right. But let's say there was standard shipping for you was a fortnight, two weeks. Mm-hmm. But there was a unique place on that form that you could sign up for overnight shipping. And what, what of course, would be true about overnight shipping? It didn't exist when I had a paper catalog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah. I, All right, let's say rush shipping. Rush shipping. Yeah, I do remember something like rush. I don't know how they did it back in those days, but would they just tell the postcard, uh, hey, this is special. Don't doubt, you know. No, but then they didn't do it for free, did they? No, no, they certainly didn't. So I signed up carefully on that form that I want and I'm willing to pay for rush shipping. And I'm willing to sign off on the fact that it cost me 25 bucks more, right? Because I have to make Chris's birthday here, right? Right. So this is the concept. Instead of a document called an SLA for every single thing, which is big, verbose document, really the SLA becomes a subscription form where the only unique aspects are the deviations from the master catalog, which is your master SLA. Well, I love the idea. I've never heard anyone say this, uh, maybe because I don't pay attention like I do when I'm with you, it, that the service catalog itself is the master SLA. <laughs> it is. The constitutive, declarative thing. This is what we do for the money you give yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. No, constitutive is a very important word. We didn't even get to, we didn't even, get to even talk about constitutive uh, <laughs> versus actionable and, and all the other words that were in your blog we were supposed to talk about. Uh, but hey, that's what happens on Practitioner Radio. This has been another just lightning fast 30 minutes, Troy, but I have to, I have to shut us down. Not a problem. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, we, we can't keep meeting like this. <laughs> well, actually we can. Actually it's we can. fun. <laughs> yeah. Troy, it's time for Troy's Thunderbolt tip of the day. <laughs> okay, Chris, here it is. Remember, everyone actually has a service catalog. Even if you think you don't, you do. Uh, it's either a rather large line item on your customer's P&L or it's some declared value for the money you receive in your budget or whatever process every year. So what would you rather have? Be a line item or actually declare value somehow for the money you're given? All right. Well, if you want more information about Service Catalog, there'll be links in the show notes. Uh, if you want to explore uh, this, you can always send Troy or I an email. Go to his blog. I'll put a link to the blog uh, where today's show is actually based on and as always thank you for listening to practitioner radio troy the show would not be uh anywhere without your wisdom so thank you very much oh my pleasure it's fun i love it all right hey this is chris dancy with practitioner radio i'm here with troy dumoulin and we'll see you guys on the next episode thanks so much 